0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at Citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Fired up, and that's not that's not from a fake place, that's from a real place. I really I love the word of God. I love digging into um, the word of God. And it speaks to me and it fires me up And God reveals things to me through it And it just, I just get, I just get excited And um, so normally, I love preaching, I love the word of God But this week, well as you know, I mean this season, I don't know The past six months <laughs> have not been normal um, It has been bizarre uh, From the pandemic uh, to quarantine um, Now most of you not even wearing your face masks Man, I'm, my my life is my life is in danger. My life is in danger. Oh, don't 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 say that out loud, Poppy. Don't say that out loud. <clears throat> they can't they can't know that. There was a couple of hugs that I I I broke up before service. I said, guys, come on, that's not six feet. Like you got to have room for the Holy Ghost. He's got to the holy the Holy Ghost got to get between you. Um, no, I mean, you can just tell. But even then, like. It's just strange, right? It's weird, weird seasons where we have these weird rules. People are six feet apart. Um, you know, our, our church is going through stuff. And then on top of it, uh, this, all this social unrest. Um, my goodness, uh, injustice is happening. Uh, graphic violence on our Facebook feeds. Um, just stuff that just makes your heart bleed. And I talked about that last week, you know, because we were just right in the the middle of it. And so this past Wednesday, I don't know how many of you joined us, but we had a really great conversation on Zoom. Um, We uh, decided we weren't going to go live on Facebook because I wanted it to be Just kind of just us not the whole world so that people could feel free to share and we accidentally went live on facebook So, uh, I don't know technology got the better of us It didn't have a screen because we had take we had robbed the screen for our zoom So people in zoom had screen But I guess the audio still went live on facebook because it was scheduled to do that every wednesday at eight o'clock So anyway, we the the uh the internet tech guy forgot to change that, so I'll have to have a talk with him um, whenever whenever he gets home today. But uh, it was it was one of those things, but it was a beautiful, even though we were live kind of for the world to see, it was a beautiful um, conversation. Now, those of you that were a part of that, Manessa um, was up here. She shared some great things. Baloo, um, she didn't even know she was going to share. She just came in and she just had some, some awesome things to say. Peter was here. He had some good things to say. I was here. I said a couple of things. Um, and uh, then folks on Zoom chimed in. Bailey uh, had a good perspective. I love Jaleesha's perspective. Um, her upbringing is totally different from, from most of us, and um, uh, Mia, Mia Mia, chimed in. Lance shared some of his story. I'm probably forget Hannah. Hannah stepped in and shared something. It was just a lot of awesome perspectives coming together about racial reconciliation. About what the church can do about this, kind of how we feel about it, actually, also because feelings are valid and need need to be expressed in this time. And there wasn't any judgment, there wasn't any finger pointing. Um, it was it was good. I felt like it was really good. And I went home Wednesday night, and I was just like, Lord, this is this 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 feels right. This feels like this is the right time to do this. Um, this is the right way to do this and it's tricky because you don't know um, Sometimes I think especially white people sometimes we wait to say something until we feel like we know the right thing to say And oh, that's that's you do all right. Jonathan does that too. So it's not just white people. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you I appreciate that. because uh, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a, it's a pride thing It's a pride thing, right? Because I want to be right. I want to say the right thing and so I don't want to say the wrong. I don't want to look stupid, right? I don't want to look out of touch. I don't want to look. What is the? What's the? Uh, what's the? Tone deaf. That's the new one. Tone deaf. Like I don't. Like you know. Yeah, that's the new tone deaf. It's new as of five years ago. It was. Like I'm from the late 1900s. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It was, it, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't wanna be dumb. And so I will wait to say something, but the truth is sometimes just simply stepping out and saying something, even if maybe you're wrong or you're saying it slightly wrong or you, you, you forgot to, uh, maybe you offended some people, but just simply stepping out and sharing what is true in your heart, what you feel like God is saying in the moment is just the best you can do. And so as a pastor, that's what we did. I, I knew the conversation wasn't gonna be perfect. I knew, and there was even some gentle correction going on, which I thought was really awesome, um, you know, and so anyway, I, I love the conversation. I went home, and I was like, Lord, maybe, like, maybe this is what we need to do Sunday. Like, we just need to, we just need to have a few folks up here. We just need to have more of this conversation uh, because it feels so good, and God was like, no, you need to preach on Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, and I said, Lord, Lord, no, no, Habakkuk chapter 1, 6 through 11 is not, it's not, that, that, that's tone deaf. That's called tone death. That's completely the wrong tone. That's not the tone that we need right now. We need empathy, and there was so much empathy Wednesday night, and and, and, and God was like, yeah, that's what you needed for Wednesday night, but for Sunday morning, you need to preach this, and and God just was, there's nothing wrong with Wednesday night. It was right. It was the right time. It was the right thing, but, and, and actually, it's the beginning. I want to continue that conversation on other Wednesday nights. Like, I, I want to keep moving forward with that, but at the same time, God was like, no, this is what I want you to preach, and and it was tricky. It's difficult. Uh, let me let me let me just explain. If you don't know why it's difficult, you're like you're like, why is this so difficult? I don't understand. Okay, look. Open your Bible if you have it. I actually have a physical Bible today because uh, uh, this is what I was working from this week. Going old school, um, and um, mainly because I like the way that um, physical Bibles outline things sometimes. So there's little headings. All right, it's not part of Scripture, but there's little headings to help you know like sections. And, and this helps me understand Habakkuk because really there's about two, there's two primary sections to the book of Habakkuk. So the first section, uh, the first half of the first section, we've already dealt with, uh, and that is <clears throat> Habakkuk's complaint. And so on my Bible, the, the heading says, the prophet's question. That's a nice way of saying the prophet's complaint or doubt. I preached about questions and doubt. In other words, God is okay with questions. God is okay with doubt. And when you read the prophet's question, he's, he's, he's screaming at God. Violence, how long will I scream violence to you and you won't do anything? So he's not just kind of gentle questions. He is, he is hurting, he is in pain, and, it's, it's, and this, this could have been written in 2020. This passage totally could have been written in 2020, and so that's why a couple of weeks ago I was fired up because I'm like, yeah, this is where we're at. Right, we are screaming out to God for justice. We want to see, we want to see social uh, justice come to pass. We want to see racial violence ended. We want to see oppression ended. We want to see the rights of people whose rights have been oppressed. We want to see those rights expanded to the same as everybody else. We want to see equality. Right. We want to see justice. And this is what Habakkuk is crying out for. He's like, God, how many times will I cry out violence and you won't answer? And he even talks about justice. There's no justice. His justice is paralyzed. And he's angry about it. He's heard about it. And he's calling out to God. And so God is the right place to go with your anger, with your fear, and with your need and desire for justice. God is the right one, and God's people are also the right people. So that's what Wednesday night was all about. That's what the past couple of weeks have been all about, and I like that. But, but, but then God replies to Habakkuk, right? And so last week, we got into verse 5, which is the beginning of God's reply. Honestly, it was such a huge verse. I just, I camped out there the entire day. Uh, God says, look around. Pick your head up, man. Look around. I know you can't see me working in front of you, but God is always doing more around you than you can see in front of you. And so he says, Man, you need to look around. Don't just look at your city. Don't just look at your country. Look around. I am still working. Even when I can't see it, he's moving. And even when I can't feel it, he's working. And man, that'll preach. And so I spent some time last week preaching that. I love that. God says, Man, if I'm doing something that even if I told you what I was doing, you would not believe me. In other words, God's plans are higher. God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. And he says, just trust me. Okay, so now though, so that's that's a beautiful passage. It goes right along with our worship song. Even when I can't see it, he's working and moving, all that kind of thing. And then it's almost like, it's almost like Habakkuk wasn't convinced. You know, God's like, God's like, all right, man, I'm doing something. Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk's like, really? Try me. Because God then continues. Now, if I were God and I were writing scripture, I just would have ended right there. I just would have said, man, I'm doing something. Just trust me. I got this. It's all good. Just, just trust me. Because that makes for a great sermon. But God goes on and messes up my sermon series. Verse 6 through 11 is a, is a, is a jackhammer on any positive and encouraging sermon series that you're trying to produce. If you're talking to people who are hurting and need empathy, this is not the verse to read, but I'm going to read it. So anyway, verse 6, this is what God says to Habakkuk, who's broken and needs empathy. He says, For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. They are a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry, their, their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. Come on America. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. They heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. (laughs) Thus ends the word of the Lord. Literally, that is God's answer. Now, if you're looking at a physical Bible, you will see the prophet's question, verses 2, 3, and 4. And then you will see the Lord's reply, uh, verses 5 through 11. That's it. He spends one verse saying, trust me, I'm doing something you don't even know. The prophet is kind of like, I don't really know. I think you could tell me. And then he spends the next uh, five verses, 6 through 11, telling him what he's doing. And it turns out that what he's doing is more offensive (laughs) than when the prophet thought he was doing nothing. Which is why the book of Habakkuk is actually longer than just one chapter. See, if it was just that one exchange, it would be one chapter. You'd be done. But the book of Habakkuk is three chapters because the first chapter, the first few verses is the prophet's complaint to God and then you get God's response and then the prophet is really complaining. So in verse 12, he says, wait a minute, and you, you, you won't have this on your screen, but he says, and I'm going to get into this next week, don't worry. He says, are you not from everlasting? O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. So, so, so he's like, what? Wait a minute, you're sending those people to us? They're going to take us out. They're going to destroy us. They're going to hold up. And so now the prophet has a whole nother set of problems. He first had a question about God not doing anything. Now he has a question about exactly what God is doing. And it's even worse than his previous question. He spends a good few verses here going on and complaining about this and trying to convince God this is a bad idea. That's the rest of chapter 1. Lord, you, look, man, I mean, I know you weren't doing anything, but now what you're telling me is even crazier. And then chapter 2 is God's reply. All of chapter 2. So you see the, the questions in the beginning are shorter, and then there's a, a bit of a long reply. And then there's a long question, and then there's a massively whole chapter-long reply where God breaks down a five-point sermon on why he's doing things. And so we're going to get into those five points. That's going to be a fun five weeks, the five woes. It's going to be a fun... It's <laughs> and then chapter 3 is Habakkuk finally getting it. Habakkuk hears the five woes, the five-point sermon from God, and he responds with a song, and chapter 3 is, is, is that song. It's the song, and it's the beautiful part, and it's the good part. We're going to get there, but before we get there, we have to get to God's first reply that sparked this whole thing to begin with. That God responds to Habakkuk who is broken, who is oppressed, who is dealing with injustice in his land, who seems like God's not doing anything. And even when you can't see it, he's working, right? And that, that, that's a certain kind of faith, a kind of faith that can see nothing and yet believe that somewhere behind the scenes, God is working all things together for good to them that love God and are ac- called according to his purpose. That's a certain kind of faith. That's called domesticated faith. the title of this sermon series is called wild faith because the next level a whole nother level the hnl as as we used to say the whole nother level the hnl of faith is not just to believe that god is probably behind the scenes doing things that you agree with but rather the HNL is to stand in front of things that God is doing that you do not agree with. The whole other level of faith is to trust the heart of God when it seems like you can't trust the hand of God. When it seems like his hand is doing things that don't seem consistent with the way you believe his character to be, when it seems like his hand is allowing things that don't seem consistent with the way you believe his, his plan to be, Look, it's one, thing, it's one thing to believe and to trust in the plan of God, but to submit to the process of God. It's a whole nother level. That's the HNL. This is wild faith. You're not going to get up this mountain unless you submit to the process of God. Habakkuk's not going to climb his mountain. He's not going to get feet like deer's feet and walk on his high hills without the ability to see God working and not agree with what God's doing but still trust God with what he's doing. To see difficulty, to see hardship, and for God to take credit for it. That's why that's why you know if this were january 7th 2020 i'd be okay preaching this but it's june 7th 2020 it's it's a whole nother situation it's because we have people who are hurting people who are wondering why people who are questioning god because of awful things that are happening and sometimes because of the way the church is responding And they're questioning God. And what I would like to do is come alongside you and just reinforce, hey, God's still in control, even when you can't see it, he's working. And and, 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 and I'm, and I'm saying that, but at the same time, that's not what God said. That's part of God's response. One verse out of six. The next five verses are this weird proclamation of doom. As I was reading it this week, I was like, Lord, I don't, even, I don't even know why you put this in there. And I don't know if you ever read scripture and you're like, well, that's pointless. Because, I mean, it's helpful for me, right, three, uh, three, two and a half thousand years later, to be like, oh, that's who the Chaldeans are. But really, the Bible doesn't always explain situations. Sometimes you have to do some historical study to understand. And so you can do some historical study and understand who the Chaldeans are. In fact, Habakkuk would have known who the Chaldeans were. He doesn't need to hear again how terrible and awful they are. He's heard the stories. So this is written, is written in uh, 609, uh, 608 BC. Well, in 6, I think it's 610 or 611 BC, uh, the Chaldean, um, I can't pronounce his name, but he was the first great Chaldean who rose up, made a deal with the Medes, and they joined together and they overthrew Assyria. So about a year or two years before Habakkuk wrote this letter, Assyria, which was the dominant world power at that time, for, for a really long time, they held dominant sway, dominant control over the entire known world. Assyria, they were the big, bad dudes. They, you don't mess with Assyria. Yet the Chaldeans are, and it's interesting that God refers to them as the Chaldeans. I'll just, I'll just say that right off the bat because everybody else usually refers to them as Babylonians. The Babylonians has to do with their country. Chaldeans has to do with their ethnicity or their race. There is a particular race within Babylon A particular race of people who Habakkuk would have known, and you might say he's stereotyping, I don't know, but Habakkuk would have known as an incredibly intelligent people. For instance, Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean, one of the greatest rulers of Babylon. They were incredibly intelligent people. They lived in a particular portion of the land. They were incredibly intelligent, and they were also, because of their intelligence, they were more oppressed than other people in the Assyrian kingdom. Because the Assyrians feared them. You always oppress what you fear. And so the Assyrians feared them because they were so intelligent. The Assyrians made their lives even more difficult, which is why God, if we can just go back to verse six, I'm just going to walk through this slowly. If that's all right, I don't have many sermon points. I'm just going to walk through it slowly. It's going to take my time. He says, For indeed I'm raising up the Chaldeans. He's speaking to their race. He says, They are a bitter, hmm, a bitter, He's describing their character. Their character is characterized by bitterness. They have been oppressed for so long that, 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 that sores and wounds and scars have been festering inside of them for so long. They are a bitter and hasty nation. Meaning hasty, meaning they're not ready to negotiate. They're not going to talk about it. They're not going to sit down and reason with anybody. They are, they're, they are fueled by their bitterness, not by their logic, not by their reason. Telling you if you do not deal if you don't experience healing with the stuff that's happened to you, it'll fester in you and then it'll go through you to somebody else. And it'll always come out hotter than it came in. It'll always come out stronger than it came in. The Chaldeans are a bitter, God says, and hasty nation. And we see their bitterness actually when, when the, the, the original Chaldean rose up, made a deal with, with the Medes to attack. Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, they burned Nineveh to the ground. They didn't just overthrow Nineveh, they crushed Nineveh. I mean, they crushed it so bad that even to this day, archaeologists aren't exactly sure where Nineveh was. Like, the bible says that they, they burned it you know okay but they didn't just burn it they grounded all the pottery they destroyed all of, i mean they raised it so low that that uh, that, that archaeologists know stuff to look for in the syrian kingdom and they can't find their capital city i mean we're talking that's crazy they it wasn't just they didn't just want to beat them they wanted to grind them into the ground they are a bitter and hasty nation And they're fueled by bitterness. They're fueled by anger. They're fueled by by a desire to revenge and to get back. And so they start moving on the world scene. They make a deal with the Medes. They crush the Assyrians. And then for a couple of few years, it's just quiet. So nobody, there's a vacuum on the global scene. Who's in charge? Israel was subject to Assyria. Israel was under the the thumb of Assyria but now Assyria is broken their power is broken and egypt is trying to rise up they're trying to 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 take over the middle eastern world meanwhile the chaldeans are also gathering their sources and power and 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 solidifying alliances with with other ethnicities and and and, and clans around them which would eventually become babylon but then you have the medes also they they were kind of helpful in all of this and so they want to take power and habakkuk writes this in the middle of a vacuum and god tells habakkuk what's going to happen He says, look, it's going to be the Babylonians. This is the next great power, the next great world power. It will be the Chaldeans. They're they're a bitter and hasty nation. For indeed, I am, and God takes credit. That's what's so brutal. I am raising up. I am using their bitterness. What? This is part of what makes Habakkuk just blows his mind. God is using sin? God doesn't approve of sin. But God, you're, I thought you couldn't even use it. It's interesting. So many people believe that God can't use them because they have a view of God that he only uses things that are perfect. And so I'm just saying, that'll not only stump your worldview of what God's doing in the world, but also what he is able to do through you. If you have to be a perfect speaker before he'll use you to speak, if you have to be a perfect writer before he'll use you to write, if you have to be a perfect Christian before he'll use you to evangelize and to be a witness, then then you'll never get to that place. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God uses things that aren't quite perfect. They're neither still in process. It's kind of messy sometimes. And this is one of the truths coming out. I am raising up these Chaldeans. They're a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places. This is their character, their desires to steal, kill and destroy maybe. To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible, God says, and dreadful. That sounds like God's kind of, you know, hyping it up. He's not. (laughs) <laughs> you read historically, he's actually, he's actually sort of glossing over some things. Uh, you know about crucifixion. The Romans brought that. They invented that. Uh, but they were not the first ones to invent ways of publicly humiliating, torturing, and killing people all at the same time. That would be the Babylonians. They introduced that. They didn't have crucifixion, but they did have, I forget what they called them, but they were like these Poles. That they would make out of wood Usually about six feet tall Sometimes if there was a really high crime It would be a high pole Ten feet, some of them uh, They would be about the size of uh, I guess a, like, a, like a, a flagpole Like the, the, the circumference of that And they would sharpen them down to a point And they would, fi- they would, they would uh, uh, angle that point Really really uh, sharp angle I mean it's like a blade basically They'd strip their victims down naked And set them on it So <laughs> you can imagine how that would go And Some would bleed to death over the course of days For some internal organs would be destroyed But it wasn't good They are terrible and dreadful When they took over captives It was was common for them to rip the ears off of the people that they captured Why would you do that? (laughs) Just cruelty Literally, there's no other reason Other than you mark them, I guess, but it's just cruelty. The leaders, they would always uh, c- pull their tongues out with, with hot hot tongs and gouge their eyes out with dull spoons. And the leaders would, would have to serve in, in different uh, uh, palaces or different dignitaries, and, and they would be in chains, and, and, and they can't talk, and they can't see, and yet they're forced to be slaves to these people and do all the things. It's just It was just cruelty. When God says they're terrible and dreadful, he's not... He's not underestimating the, the absolute brutality of these people. And Habakkuk's heard the stories. Habakkuk knows who these people are. It's Absolutely brutal. It's, it, Habakkuk's looking for hope. <laughs> and God says, let me tell you what's coming. <laughs> and, Lord, why did I preach this on June 7th? They're terrible and dreadful. I don't know, you have any terrible and dreadful things coming at you? Any terrible and dreadful, even things you didn't see coming, things you didn't think should come, things you didn't think you deserved. Things coming at you, you're not alone. He says they're terrible and dreadful because their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Be careful if you're the only one judging yourself. Nobody judged me but God. Okay (laughs) When your judgment proceeds from yourself You'll always justify yourself You'll always justify yourself No matter how awful Terrible you become And brutal you become Their judgment proceeds from themselves Those are some dangerous people They they won't submit to any rule of law. They won't submit to any external boundaries. Their judgment proceeds from themselves. That's dangerous. And their dignity proceeds from themselves, meaning how they think about themselves. They're not interested in in what God thinks about them. They're not interested in what others think about them. Their their judgment and their dignity both proceed from themselves. They are uh, an island to themselves. They are a God to themselves. They validate themselves be careful you don't become a Chaldean. Don't start validating yourself. You can't be self-validated. Colossians says it is the Father who qualifies us. We must be qualified by something other than ourselves because when you become a god to yourself, then the worst portions of humanity start to come out. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment, their dignity, dignity perceived from themselves. This is all having to do with their character. Now God gets into their capabilities. He says their horses are swifter than leopards. You know how fast leopards are. I've been watching wildcats. I know. I know. I know a thing or two about leopards. Thirty-six miles an hour. That's faster than your Prius. Just kidding. Sorry. I've been watching too many viper videos, making Prius jokes. Austin, what is that? A V two or something? Uh, no. <laughs> Mm, that's voltage that's what that is that's voltage talk come on Tesla Tesla's actually pretty fast but anyway their the horses are swifter than leopards more fierce than evening wolves and their chargers charge ahead their cavalry comes from afar they fly as an eagle that hastens to eat in other words they're not hindered by much They move quickly and powerfully. They all come for violence. Isn't it interesting? God uses the same word. The one word quotation mark that we know was a part of Habakkuk's consistent prayer was violence. And God says, okay, (laughs) they all come for violence. Nobody comes for order. Nobody comes for money. They come for violence. They're in it for the kill. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. Now, to many of us, faces being set like the east wind don't mean that much. It doesn't mean that much. Bad English, sorry. It doesn't mean that much to say somebody's face is set like the east wind. But if you lived in uh, this part of the world, especially in Israel, and Judah, uh, you, would, you would begin to understand. So I did ask them to put up a map um, just for you guys to be able to see. It's one of the few slides that I have. Just so you can see just the demographic of where Habakkuk would be living. So this is, this is modern Israel, but it's exactly, almost exactly the same as ancient Israel with the exception of this whole deal here. But anyway, this is a lot of, this is very similarly positioned ancient Israel. Judah would be uh, sort of down south here and the northern kingdom is up there. If you see, uh, there is the Mediterranean Sea off to the west. This is a huge sea. It's the biggest body of water in, in the entire area. And remember, this is the desert. So they're living in the desert. This is a desert land. This is a desert climate. It gets up to, I don't know, like 130 degrees over there. I mean, it gets hot. It was 95 yesterday, and I was, whew. It was tough. I mean, it wasn't tough because I had my air conditioning, but then I had to do a homeschool. Well, I got to do a homeschool uh, graduation in the sun. Uh, woo, it was hot. Uh, Jalen... Jalen Guerrero was graduating and they had a homeschool co-op down in San Marcos it was awesome Um, but uh, the sun part was not so awesome and uh, I was just I was just sweating I I had to go in the back of my car and get a microfiber towel uh, and wipe my face with it so I got some wax on if I have wax on my forehead that's why because it's cleaning the car it's cleaning my face but anyway it's, it's hot it's hot there. And this is the middle of the desert. And so and so rain doesn't happen very often. But if you're near the Mediterranean Sea, you get a lot more rain than everybody else because there's a lot of moisture in the Mediterranean Sea. So a lot of moisture r- equals clouds, right? The, the moisture goes up into the atmosphere, creates clouds. So there's there's actually, even, even today, the annual rainfall of the west side of Israel is significantly greater than the east side of Israel. It's really interesting. And so the west side of Israel is actually more... More wealthy than the east side uh, going back to sort of ancient practices because if you have more water in the desert you can grow more things and you can pr- you can provide for more cattle and more livestock so so what's interesting is the west side most of the time 99.9% of the time storms will come from the west if you live in Israel storms are coming from the west because that's where the clouds gather and, and and there's some interesting scriptures around that. When you begin to understand the topography of where they're living, the geography, you understand that storms come from the west, water it comes from the west, and water is the land, and it's good. But about once a year, maybe twice a year, a storm will come from the east. It's an east wind. And that storm is not good. <laughs> because the storm that comes from the west comes from the Mediterranean Sea, brings water from the sea, and drops it on the land. But the storm that comes from the east... It brings water, but it also brings a whole lot of sand, which is why God said their faces set like the east wind and they gather captives like sand because that's what the east wind would do. It would collect massive amount of sand and bring it and just dump it on the land. So even today, like after, after an east storm or a desert storm, which by the way is, I believe, why uh, George Bush Sr. named his operation desert storm because it was the kind of storm that was coming from the east it was the kind that wasn't going to water things it was going to destroy some things and so it's going to take out some things and that's what happens even now after a desert storm there is there's there's just sand everywhere sand on top of cars sand covering it's like it's like it's like January in Texas you know when everything's a little bit green and pollen yellow everywhere but it's worse and not only that but you have these flash floods with sand so entire roadways like like asphalt roads are often washed away in the middle is this. The, you have flash flooding with sludge just moving through neighborhoods, relocating vehicles, cracking foundations of houses. It's really, it's, it's really an issue. And so God says, hey, you know every once in a while there's this east storm that comes in. You can't stop it. It's actually not going to be helpful. It's not going to water anything. It's just going to destroy everything. That's what these people are like. They're like a desert storm. So I don't know what kind of desert storm you're facing in your life right now. I don't know, what, I don't, I don't know what's moved into your neighborhood. I know some, some dirt and muck have moved in to my city and moved into my country and moved into my, my Facebook feed. And there's just a lot more division moving into the atmosphere. It's interesting. There's also a lot of computers moving in. I was reading recently where uh, they've been tracking a lot of the posts on Facebook around uh, racial issues over the past 11 days. They got programs that can track all of that. Apparently, only 3% mentioned the name George Floyd. I think that's unfortunate. They don't honor him, like the the person who who just lost his life. And 52, and maybe this is why, because 52% are being generated by bots or brand new accounts that have been created in the last 11 days. So, more than half of the posts you see on Facebook are generated by computers that want to make us think that we are divided, that want to make us think that we are ignorant, that want to make us think that we can't listen to logic. Well, a computer won't listen to logic. It will do what it's programmed to do. It'll respond the way it's programmed to respond. So there's a lot of sludge moving into our neighborhood. There's a lot of junk and dirt flying everywhere. There's a lot of there's a lot of junk just moving in and and I don't even I don't even think it's I don't think it's even the people it's not the people I know. I don't even think it's mostly I mean there's some idiots but you know but I'm just saying that 52% of the nonsense that's flying around it's created by a few people that have some pretty vested interests in the way things go. And so it's just interesting when storms start coming and, and dirt starts flying, when the sand hits the fan. Come on, somebody. I'm about to, about to preach. That's, that's premium preaching right there. That's premium preaching. When the sand hits the fan. Get, a, get you a teacher. Get, Myron, Myron will help you out. Myron, when the sand hits the fan. Like, where is God? What is he doing? What is he saying? Sometimes we spend so much time praying against the very thing that God brought into our neighborhood. Because the sand, yeah, it destroys things holy fire burn burning wildly burning through the things that need to be erased to liberate our land and our soul and our family and our churches so sometimes god will bring an east storm a desert storm not to destroy the infrastructure but to destroy everything he'll he'll let some shaking go on so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken but everything that can't be shaken will remain will stand and you'll see where your faith is I think sometimes, like, this is what Jesus cried out. He said, Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. Like a mother hen gathers her chicks. When does the mother hen gather her chicks? In the middle of a storm when a storm is coming and by the way hens don't fly so she's not gathering them to fly them away away from God's not always going to deliver you from the storm sometimes he wants to be the shelter in the storm he wants to be the wings that wrap around you through the middle of all this craziness and he'll bring a a desert storm he'll bring an eastern wind he'll bring a lot of sludge and dirt to wipe out all the other idols that you've been propping up in your life so that you can see that he alone can walk with you through difficulty. I don't have a lot of positive encouraging notes except to say that God's never leaving Habakkuk. He never once says that he's going to forsake his people. He never once says that even in the middle of such trials and persecutions and difficulty that is coming their way, that God will still be God and he will hold their hand through it. If you want to know about this time in history, I think it's 586 BC is when, is when, is when Nebuchadnezzar finally lays siege to Jerusalem. If you, if you keep reading, I will keep reading, they, they, they scoff at kings, it says, princes are scorned by them, they deride every stronghold, and they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. That's actually prophetic of what's coming. The Babylonians or the Chaldeans were going to come to southern Israel, Judah, they were going to build mounds around that and they were going to lay siege to the city, meaning no one comes in, no one comes out. If you want to know more about that time, you can flip back in your Bible and read the book of Lamentations. It's written about that time. That's, that's what the whole book of Lamentations is about. It's about the siege. The Babylonians laid siege to Judah, and the whole book of Lamentations, it's a lament. Because, because if, this, if, this, if, you, if you think this is depressing, go read Lamentations. Mothers are eating their children. Literally. It's rough because they're starving. And because if you knew the way Babylonians treated children, you wouldn't want your children to experience that either. Such an awful position they're put in. It's such dark days. And yet at the end of Lamentations, you know what the prophet Jeremiah says? He says, says, because of your mercies, we are not consumed. Because your compassions fail not. Great is your faithfulness. <laughs> this, is, this is a wild kind of faith. This is the kind of faith that uh it's not domesticated you don't you don't have life insurance on this kind of faith you don't even have car insurance you don't even have liability you you, this is the kind of faith that says no man i'm i am i am going past the veil i'm going past the pale i'm going past all of my securities and all of my ability to explain what god is doing and now i just see what god is doing i can't explain it i don't even think i agree with it but i believe i trust the process because i know the one who's working the process and so i don't i don't like it i don't i don't even agree with it but i trust the one who is is in control great is your faithfulness his presence is better than a process that i can comprehend his presence is more powerful than a plan that i would have created his presence in a though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil because you are with me not because i understand the path or the process his presence sometimes you don't see his presence until the desert storm wipes out all the other stuff that was propping up your life he's going to lay some mounds and he's going to seize it he's going to crush he's going to crush them this this past week we had a small group our small group's been going great uh and i don't i've heard great reports from all of the small groups if you're not a part of a small group jump in Uh, It's not too late. Literally every week is something different, so you're not missing anything. You just jump in whenever you want. Uh, But man, I thought this past week was the best. I don't know. The video, I thought so far, the video was the best video that that we've seen. We always watch a little 25-minute video, and it's on Zoom. You can show your face if you want. Uh, If if your house is a mess, you can just have it on blank screen or whatever. If your face, if you you haven't put makeup on in a while, let's just have blank screen, whatever. It's cool. Uh, But we all join in. We watch this video. And in the video, the guy was sharing uh, his uh, personal story from his own life. And this is a a minister. He's a pastor. He's been a president of a Bible college. And um, anyway, one of his sons was kind of going through the motions of faith, but not necessarily walking with God. And that's one of the hardest things as a pastor and as somebody who leads so many other people to God, to have your own children kind of lukewarm in their faith and not, not sure where they're at. So he's praying for his son, and uh, his son would play drums. Uh, he'd, play, he'd play drums for the church. And uh, one there was one, it was a chapel in the middle of the week on a Wednesday. Um, they'd ask him to come in and play drums for worship. So he played drums, and then he was going to leave. Some of you musicians don't know nothing about that. But anyway, then he was going to leave... I'm just teasing. Uh, and then he go. He's because he had some homework to do. He's 18 years old. He had some homework to do, a big test the next day. And so he's, 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 he's getting out of there, because he's, he's not in a lot of church in his life anyway, right? And so he goes to the door, and he just senses this strong sense that he needs to stay. And he, That doesn't normally happen for him. And so he says, okay. So he turns around, he sits in the back, and he listens to the speaker. And the speaker is, it's almost like he's speaking directly to him. He's speaking about fear. He's speaking about how we let our lives be ruled by fear. And how because of fear, we, we try to take control. That's called sin. We try to come up with our own stuff. That's called sin. And so because of fear, we live in fear. And, 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 and that's where sin comes from. And so he starts talking about all of this. And, 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 and the young man is just like, God's speaking directly to me. That I've been living my life in fear, and I need to submit to God. And uh, the altar call was, if you want to, quit living your life in fear and instead... Trust God that God will hold your hand through anything that you go through. Because when you live your life in fear, you're always trying to mitigate the outcomes. You're always trying to adjust the stuff. Man, gosh, stop praying for God to fix the situation. Stop waiting for the situation to change for you to get your peace back. We don't have to go back to normal for you to get your peace back. We don't have to have full racial equity before you get your peace back. It's not about that. It's not about the situation. But, but, we, but we do that in so many of our prayers. It's really just us asking God to do what we think would bring us peace. God even spoke to me about that this week I was praying for somebody else And I was just going on and on I mean, it was a great prayer I wish you guys could hear it It was good I was hitting all the points Boom, boom, boom And, 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 I, and, and this person, I have a lot of compassion for them They're dealing with them And I'm, I'm, I'm praying for them and, and God just stopped me like in the middle and he said, do you really think that's what I want to do? And I said, well So then I get defensive mode, right? Well, you are a good God. You're a faithful God. It's all, all this stuff. He said, yeah, but is that what I want to do? I said, well, I guess I haven't asked you. <laughs> he said, that's the problem. He said, that's the problem. You pray what feels good to you. And sometimes it actually makes you feel good to pray good things for people. It makes you feel good because you're a good person now you're a great prayer warrior look all the good stuff you're praying for them and you never even check in with me what i'm doing in their life maybe i brought that eastern wind maybe i brought that sludge maybe maybe i brought some of that stuff into their into their home into their neighborhood to to clean out some junk to get rid of some stuff to purify some stuff why don't you ask me what i'm doing I'm still good. I'm still faithful. Absolutely. Those are true, but my faithfulness is not is not seen in the way that you always think it ought to be seen. My justice isn't always seen in the way you think it ought to be seen. My goodness isn't always revealed in the way that you think it ought to be revealed. So anyway, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I get I get I get all fired up for this good stuff, blessings and favor and and power and anointing and open doors and and you know, and God's like that's that's good and all that's great, but is it what I want to do? And so I check in with Him and and I find that that's not always what He wants to do. And in the story, the, the, the young man, you know, he, he comes forward, he kneels down at, at, at the altar, and he just says, God, I, I, give, I give you my life. I'm going to stop trying to hold on to my life and try to fix my life and try to set my life. I'm 18 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to resist what you bring into my life, but I'm going to look for your hand. I'm going to hold your hand through whatever may come my way. And that's his prayer. That's his altar call prayer. This is Wednesday night. Well, the next day, Thursday, he's got some tests at school, you know, and he, he felt really bad and, and his body wasn't just wasn't working right. Uh, I think from the story, I, I might be messing it up. But anyway, they end up taking him to the hospital, to the ER, and they run blood tests and all this kind of thing. And a, 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 a lovely nurse comes in and just delivers. She says, she says she has bad news. The bad news is he has diabetes, I'm not educated on all the various types of diabetes, but this is the type that, uh, obviously, he's only 18 years old. Um, this is just in his system. It's a part of his body. He's going to have to live with it. She, just, she was just a cheerful Young lady, And she just kind of hit him with uh, this, you know, what, what it means. You're going to have to change your diet. You can't eat stuff everybody else eats. You can't, you can't do stuff everybody else does. You're going to have to, you know, prick your finger multiple times a day, checking your, your glucose levels and so on and so forth. And she just delivers the bad news, and then she leaves. She goes out to spread cheer and joy to all the other <laughs> patients. And, uh, you know, the pastor's just standing there. He's like, man, what do I say to, to my son? Because it's one thing to preach a few sermons and, you know, get fired up about stuff, but man, when it's your son and he just got this news and he just realized that his life, as he knew it, is not not ever going to be the same. And it's not fair. Other people get to eat that. Other people get to do those things. And so the pastor is kind of processing, trying to think. And before he can even say anything, uh, the eighteen-year-old uh, kid says, "Isn't God cool?" And the pastor's like, what? And his son's like, isn't God cool? He's like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, just last night, and he, told him, he tells him the story, you know, I felt like I should stay, and the preacher was talking about fear and about holding God's hand through whatever may come my way. He said, just last night, I went down to the altar, and I said, God, whatever comes my way, I'm gonna hold your hand through it, and I believe that you're powerful enough and good enough to walk with me through every situation. He said, and then the very next day, I get diagnosed with something that I am going to have to walk through with Jesus. Isn't God cool? (laughs) That he would, that he would, his timing is perfect. That he would come down and share with me before I got the diagnosis. He would share with me. I'm going to hold your hand through it. Now, most people wouldn't respond like that, you know. See, a lot of us would be like, okay, well, we need to cast the demon of diabetes out of this kid and we need, to, we need to believe and pray and fast. We need to get the prayer team on this. We need to lay hands and shake and throw him down and, and, get, and we need to get rid of this thing. We need to cast it out. We need to get rid of it and get this east wind out of here. It's not always God's plan. Check in with him. <laughs> Is that what he wants to do in that situation? Because if you're not careful, you'll develop a theology around your, around your pretty little picture of the way God's goodness always looks and you'll start telling you'll start yeah we got somebody in the back who, had, who was born with diabetes and has a, had to deal with it all of her life and she still has she's still ha, she's still going through it but not only does she have to deal with it not only does she have to hold god's hand through it she has to deal with christians that come alongside her and tell her well it's probably because there's some sin in your life that's why god hasn't healed you yet they probably don't have enough faith. That's why, I mean, it's like, it's like not all you have to deal with walking through it, but then you have to deal with Christians who have a theology that God always does this, and he always does it just like that, and that's what his goodness looks like. That's what his faithfulness looks like, but it's not. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6 through 11 ought to let you know that God's faithfulness and goodness doesn't always look like deliverance from something. Sometimes it is, it is his presence through something. We're talking, this is wild faith. Some of you, some of you, aren't, some of you aren't ready for this. You're watching online. You're not ready for this. You're in here. That's it's fine. You go on back down to the bottom of the mountain. You, you, you hang out until you, until, you, until you get there. God will reveal it to you. God will. So seriously, that, that's not a diss. I'm not making fun of you. Seriously, if you're not ready to, like, that, 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 to those that are able to receive it, receive it. But to those that aren't, you will be at some point. You'll, you'll circle the mountain long enough. <laughs> You know, until you're finally like, man, maybe. Maybe God's ways are higher. Maybe God's thoughts are higher. Maybe He's... And by higher, I don't mean like a little bit better. I mean entirely different. (laughs) As high as the heavens are above the earth. How high are the heavens above the earth? Hmm. Well, I mean, the clouds, we can measure that. But past the clouds, the heavens, stars, galaxies... Universe that is ever expanding. (laughs) How high are the heavens from the earth? Well, it's different now than it was five minutes ago. It's constantly running away from you. His ways are constantly moving higher, constantly moving further. You can't measure. It's infinite. His ways are infinitely higher than ours, and 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 so he walks with us sometimes. He shelters us sometimes. I don't know I had I had a whole nother point, but I don't even have time for that. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll get into that next week. Maybe we'll get into that next week. Second service, okay. All right, well, I wanted to just, I, just, I, I wanted to show you how this is played out in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus's life, Jesus' life, because Jesus, you want to know what God's goodness looks like, look at Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect example of that, which is why he's so hard to nail down, which is why, honestly, we have multiple Jesuses uh, within our churches, because we look at multiple aspects of Jesus, and we pick our favorite one, and we're like, that's my Jesus, right? That's like that one, and he's got, like, like you know, like we, we pull him out occasionally. We push the button for him to say his five little sayings. We wrap sermon series around each of those little sayings. And we just cycle through them year after year after year. Most people only know about five or six Bible stories. And that's the fault of preachers. I'm, like, I'm jumping in there with you. Like, because we only have a few, we, because our Jesus You know, well, if you read the whole thing, you get sketchy. But our Jesus, like, the part we like... Well, we can see him in that story. We don't see him in that. So we see him in this story over here. And so we're going to read this story, and we're going and we skip over Habakkuk chapter one verses six through eleven because that doesn't fit with him. But you know, there's other things, man. We'll go. We'll go to chapter three. That that's 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 our Jesus. He's my strength. He will make me stand on my high mountains with deer feet. Like that's my Jesus. You know, we have different versions. And so anyway, I I I don't I don't know if this is offensive, but I, I see a couple of different Jesus. Number one, there's the there's the there's the gun toting. economy boosting life enriching Jesus and we got we got you know he's he, he didn't didn't he say that like he would be pressed down shaken together running over I can feel the presence of the Lord and I'm gonna get my blessing right now I can feel the presence of the Lord was it too close too close sorry my bad no we write songs about this jesus he's we're going to get our blessing through him and there's certain truth to that like like that's 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 what's funny about it is well there are scriptures that talk about press down shake it together over. there are scriptures where jesus absolutely enriches lives and he blesses and he gives and he pours out and i do believe that uh, man if you have a nation whose god is the lord that nation is probably going to be a successful prosperous nation so you know there's great evidence for that but when that's, your, when that's your only version and you pull him out and the economy and people's housing, people's living conditions, people's, people's livelihood, that's the most important thing to that Jesus. He cares most that you're happy. That Jesus, we pull him out, we push a few buttons, get a few scriptures and we preach that Jesus. But, but not all of us do. Some of us have another Jesus. He's, he leans to the left. This one's on a wing But the one on the left is never on a wing Because he's not that far out He's more, he's more He's just leaning, you know and, 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 he, and, he, and he really cares about the poor I mean, he just He cares about the poor He hangs out with sinners He's friends with sinners He hangs out with sinners He's cool He, he always wears cool clothes It's real trendy He's, 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 he's trendy He's really good at picking up On what the culture wants to hear He's just, he's just chill He's cool He never ruffles any feathers He never says anything controversial he, you, know, you know, he's the Jesus Who looked at the woman caught in adultery You know, and said Where are your accusers? I don't accuse you He didn't say go and sin no more Because that's a whole other Jesus But this one said Where are your accusers? I'm not accusing you I look at you, I just see grace and love and flowers and stuff. And and, 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 and we we whip out that Jesus sometimes and he's got five things that he says. Oh yeah, and he, (laughs) I heard a pastor say this just last week, that he was against the establishment. He wasn't saying that back in 2016 when he was trying to get him to vote for somebody in the establishment. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But apparently now, Jesus is against the establishment that Jesus is against the establishment. And I, I was talking to Roe about this the other day, and I said, babe, come on. How do we, how, what establishment was he against? He said that's why he was crucified, because he was against the establishment. What establishment exactly was he against? Well, he was against the religious establishment of his day. That's true. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, he wouldn't play their game. He was against the establishment. But do you understand? Can you just zoom out just half a second? To call the Pharisees and the Sadducees an establishment is a really big stretch. These guys had zero power, zero authority, they could make zero laws, they created zero legislation, they had zero influence. What kind of establishment? That's like... You know, my kids created little boys and girls clubs. Micah created a boy club in his room, only, girl, only boys allowed. Madden created a girl club in her room. That's about the establishment that Jesus was against. But then think about this. The, 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 the Jewish religious leaders, they are just trying to hold on to the traditions of their fathers. Do you know who the establishment was? Rome. Rome was the establishment. They were the oppressors. They made all the rules— they executed all the justice, all the judgment. They were in charge. Rome was in charge. Okay, how often did Jesus speak out against Rome? As Jesus is standing there, uh, you know, he's giving the speech, the, the mount, the, uh, the, what we call the Matthew chapter 5, what do we call it, Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on a high mountain and he's preaching. Do you know he's looking out on a whole bunch of Jewish people? Do you know those Jews are slaves? They are under the absolute thumb of Rome. They are not allowed to think for themselves. And as Jesus is teaching, do you know who else would have been there? Some Roman guards standing along the outside, making sure he didn't say anything that was out of line. Because Rome was real good at sniffing out people that were going to try to cause a rebellion. That's how they kept their, I mean, the greatest kingdom, greater than Babylon, greater than Assyria, greater than Persia, greater than the Greeks. That's how Rome did it through violence through intimidation and through micromanagement so they had guards everywhere so Jesus is out there he's talking to a bunch of oppressed people to a bunch of people who can't even go to the bathroom the way they want to go to the bathroom because the, 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 the Roman government has decided for them how they're to live their life they are so in their stuff they're even in the temple the Roman guards are in the temple you can't even have religion the way you want it do you, like it goes so You start reading the gospels You see it throughout the entire gospel I think it's in the gospel of, of John Where it states that when they wanted to When they wanted to judge Jesus They brought Jesus to Caiaphas' house You ever wonder why they brought Jesus To a guy's house? Because that guy Caiaphas was the, was, the, was, the, was the high priest according to birth But Rome said, I don't like your birth order I'm going to create my own high priest So the actual high priest wasn't Caiaphas That's why they couldn't go to the temple They had to go to Caiaphas's house late at night Because the Jews were trying to operate under a system That had so oppressed them, so messed up their religion That even their leaders, the religious leaders Couldn't be the relig- religious leaders they wanted They picked their pastor, they picked their bishop They picked their pope and Jesus is on the mount of uh, the mountain there and he's preaching Matthew chapter 5. And he looks at these broken people who are starving, who are beggars, hardly have anything and he says, "Love your enemy. Do good to those who spitefully use you and abuse you." That's why that's why the religious leaders got so mad at Jesus. When I say he wouldn't play their game, I mean he wouldn't stand up for their oppression. He wouldn't be the Messiah they wanted. What's the Messiah they wanted? Well, it's interesting. Historically, uh, 60 years before Jesus was born, there was another guy named Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is, a, is a, G, a classic Jewish name, means the Lord saves was another guy named Jesus, Jesus of Maccabee, Uh, it's a Maccabean family, Uh, if you read the apocryphal books, um, that's not in your Christian Bible, it's in your Catholic Bible, uh, because they're not inspired by God, but they are historically pretty accurate, Uh, you have first and second Maccabees, well, I think it's in second Maccabees. don't quote me on that, but there's this guy named Jesus, who gets on a little donkey, donkey that had never been ridden before, and he rides it into Jerusalem, and everybody cuts down palm branches, and they lay them at his feet and they cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Weird, right? <laughs> and then Jesus of Maccabee, he comes into Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple. Do you know where Jesus, our Jesus went? When he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he went straight to the temple. Jesus, the Maccabee Jesus, goes straight to the temple, walks into the temple, and does some house cleaning. He cast out all the Roman guards. He casts out all the pagan symbols. He gets rid of all the Roman guards, and he says, everybody who's standing for Jehovah, come to me. We're going to fight for Jehovah and for Israel. He turns the temple into a, a compound, military compound. And as you can imagine, Rome doesn't like that. They come in. They crush the rebels kill them all, and they're done. Sixty years later, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. People cut down palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He goes straight to the temple, and the religious leaders are saying, okay, okay, he's going to do some house cleaning. (laughs) And he does. Not the kind of house cleaning they wanted. He walks right past the guards, and he grabs a Jew you know, the oppressed enslaved people just trying to make a few bucks. He grabs him and he says, what are you doing? My house shall be called the house of prayer. And he throws him out and he tosses over their tables. The Roman guards are like, so should we stop him or... Because I kind of like the show, you know? I kind of like seeing Jews get beat up. So the Roman guards don't even stop him because he's acting kind of like a Roman. And the religious leaders say, wait a minute, hold he... He's Jew on the outside, he's Roman on the inside. Isn't it weird that Herod wanted to meet with Jesus? Isn't it weird that even after Jesus met with Pontius Pilate, Pilate was like, I think he's a pretty good guy. These are horrible, evil dictators. They thought Jesus was pretty cool. Did he stand up against the establishment? No. He stood up for the establishment Of the kingdom of God There was a third option (laughs) There was the establishment of Rome There was the establishment of Israel And he said I'm not I'm not here for Israel And I'm not here for Rome I'm here for my father Which is why ultimately he offended everybody Because he also wouldn't play Rome's game In fact he told Pilate he, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, well, you just said I was. He said, well, I'm not saying you are. And he said, well, you'll see. You'll see me come in my glory. And so he even, he even, you know, he just, he wouldn't fit. He wouldn't fit in any of the boxes. Because he was interested in the kingdom of God. And I think if we knew Jesus today, I think if he came and walked among us, he would offend a lot of us. Because we got our own agenda. We have our own angle. We're interested in our own kingdom. And you, th- you, know, like you start reading the scriptures, uh, the gospels, Jesus, you know, it's to those very people. You know, he says, he says, if somebody compels you to go with them a mile, walk with them too. You know what he's referring to, right? He's referring to the law, systemic, institutionalized oppression that, that the, the Romans had set up, that the Romans had decided that if a Roman soldier wanted to make a Jew carry his stuff, he could choose any Jew at any given time and make him carry all of his luggage, all of his bags for a mile. Usually his stuff would weigh about 100 pounds. If you know anything about Rome for entertainment, they fed people the lions, so it's probably not the case that he would pick, walking through a Jewish town, he would pick the strongest, most robust person. He's going to pick the handicapped girl. And if she doesn't carry it a mile, she dies. How many parents saw their six-year-old kids loaded up 100 pounds worth of gear going out into the desert knowing they're never going to come back? And Jesus has the guts to look at those people and say, okay, if someone forces you to walk a mile, go with them a second mile. What? What? This is why they were were so angry, because he refused. He he would not be the Messiah they wanted. They gave him chances. They gave him lots of chances, right? I think it's in Luke where they tested him, which means they're checking to see what kind of Messiah he is. They said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? (laughs) And Jesus says, let me see a coin. Wait a minute. You don't don't just have an answer, Jesus? Jesus? You got to see a coin. See, the the issue of taxation, it's, it's not just money. Because Caesar didn't tax you based on a certain proportion of your income. Caesar taxed you based on what he needed to build his latest, you know, palace. Or palace for one of his friends. So he taxed you based on what he needed. Now, regardless of what you made. So sometimes his taxes would be higher than what you made. And if you didn't pay taxes... Your children would be taken into slavery. Your wife would be put into prostitution. And you could do nothing about it. Not only that, but just to make sure, just to make sure that that Jews knew their place, the Roman government would recruit tax collectors that were Jewish. So the guys doing the collection grew up across the street from you. And now they think they're better than you. And now they're dragging off your family. And not only that, but they included a little bit of greed in there. So, as a tax collector, you could set your own fee. So, you add, you, they, they have to pay taxes, but then they have to pay the tax collector fee, which is why tax collectors were so hated, because they would often take a little fee, a large fee for themselves, away from people that had nothing. So it's a loaded tax question. It's not a, you know, this isn't an economics 101. They're asking Jesus, what do you think about this level of oppression? Jesus says, well, let's look at the coins. <laughs> he gets out of Who's Whose picture is on it? They say, oh, it's Caesar. So, okay, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And their jaws drop because he won't take a stand against Caesar. Instead, he just takes a stand for God. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we get that, but what about taxes? And they kill him because he refuses to be the Messiah that they want. And it's, it's so difficult to talk about God being okay almost with difficulty. It's so difficult to imagine a Jesus that while he had so much compassion, he... Cared primarily about the kingdom of God. And he stayed on message about the kingdom of God. And he refused to build another kingdom, whether it was the Jewish kingdom or the Roman kingdom. And in every, every situation, every societal uh, issue that he faced, a lot of people were mad at him and a lot of people didn't understand him. And they said, Whoa, that's not what Jesus of Maccabee said. <laughs> Like, he stood up for us. And Jesus says, I'm standing up for God because it is the kingdom of God that is best for you. You can march into Jerusalem. You can make a compound out of your temple. You can fight. Heck, you can even defeat Rome, maybe, if God just sent lightning strikes and just killed everybody. Like, and then you'd still be trapped in your sin. And you'd still be trapped in your selfishness, and you'd still be trapped in, your, in, in what brought about Rome's dominance to begin with. Because when, when, when God's speaking to Habakkuk, this is, really, uh, this is really the first time since Israel became a nation that they're about to lose everything. What brought that? Sin. So he knows that his kingdom brings lasting freedom— His kingdom does improve social conditions. It does fight for social justice. It does fight for equality. I'm not saying that. His kingdom, but it has to start in your heart. He doesn't start out here and then it works its way down here. He starts in here and it works its way out. And so the stuff he does in you, he then starts doing through you. And he knew that he could not face... How many times did Jesus walk past... A Jew that was crucified on the side of a road. They, they, they had crosses just everywhere, by the way. Because it was a symbol of Roman dominance. And they put their, their crime above their head. You know, Maybe they stole an apple. Or maybe they looked at uh, a, Jewish, uh, a, a Roman officer in a disrespectful way. And it was, it, was, it was just a sign of Rome brutality. That's what the cross was. And Jesus identified with them. He didn't walk away from them. He didn't say, I'm better than you. In fact, he took his own cross. He accepted that brutality in his own life. He identified with the broken. He identified with the wounded. He was there. He'll shelter you, but he won't always fix the situation right away. He speaks to our hearts. And so maybe that is the altar call today. If you're watching online or if you're here in the room, I just want to invite you to Just like that young man, the 18-year-old, that pastor invited him. I invite you to lay down your fear. I invite you to lay down your anxiety. I invite you to lay down your need to control the outcome. I invite you to believe that God is able to hold your hand through whatever you might go through. This is what Jesus is constantly speaking to the crowds that gathered they were looking for an economic hero. They were looking for a social hero. hero. They were looking for somebody to redeem them from, from the suffering that they were experiencing. And yet God was constantly saying, look, he shall be, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Not God pulling us out of our bad situations, but God walking with us. certainly in this time of uh, increased anxiety and things being triggered and past trauma and even present injustice, and we cry out for that. We pray like Habakkuk, and we, we speak over our land for healing and for restoration and for justice, yet at the same time, Lord, you are not held captive by our version of justice, we lay it in your hands. The only way for us to have our peace before we see the justice is to work for justice, but rest in your hands. We can speak out against things and then rest in your hands. We can build relationships with people that don't look like us and then rest in your hands. We can recognize things and call out things and hold people accountable and then rest in your hands. Huh. It's not not conflicted. It's not one or the other. Mm. And so, Lord, we make a commitment right now. That's the altar call. Will you take the hand of God, whatever may come your way, whatever might happen on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, will you take his hand and will you hold on to it? Will you trust his process, even when it doesn't look like what you would do, will you hold on to his hand? Will you believe that he's working all things together for your good, even when you see a lot of bad in front of you? Lord, that's what we do right now. We we confess our doubt, we confess our fear,